I also made the case for owning Bitcoin, the quintessence of scarcity premium. Scarcity premium. It's literally the only large tradable asset in the world that has a known fixed maximum supply by its design. The total quantity of Bitcoins cannot exceed 21 million. Bitcoin is the hardest money that has ever been invented. If you don't have my private key, you cannot spend my Bitcoin, period. And this is the power of Bitcoin. It's the first time we figured out how to create true property that you can take possession of with full custodial rights. Hey, what's going on, everyone? And welcome to another episode of Talking of Bits, where we walk you through Bitcoin bit by bit so we can provide you with the information you need to succeed and persist. Back with episode 84. And I'm really excited about this episode. I've been talking to these guys a lot lately. And man, do they make me want to drive. Man, do they make me want to work harder. And I appreciate them. I got Brett here. I got Harry here. The Meat Mafia guys. What's up, fellas? Thank What's you. up? Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, no, nah, this has uh, been on the list for a minute. Uh, yeah. Yeah, like I, when I first heard y'all, I was telling y'all what we were setting up. You know, uh, not so much nutrition, because I think uh, I fell for a lot of charlatans when mm -hmm. I was trying to like figure it out. But like weight in general, my whole life has been a problem. Right. Yeah. It's been one of those things where like, I, I like to say like, in, in, in the vein of my mom, my parents loving me so much, they kind of had like this like open fridge policy where it was mm -hmm. like, look, we spent $400 on groceries, we load it up. And that's a sign to others and to, uh, to your guys that we care mm -hmm. about y'all, that yes. we're taking care of y'all. But like, I'm talking about like taking down Minute Maid jugs of juice in one oh, sitting yeah. and like Saturday morning cartoons bowl after bowl of lucky charms and all this yes. other stuff so like this episode is really important uh for me and i know you guys have been helping not only me but many others on the journey and you guys got a, a story as well before we get into deeper in the show and talk about various different things please let the listeners know whichever order you want to go a little bit about yourselves and what you guys are doing right now yeah you want to uh, kick us off yeah so we um were the meat mafia we started writing online uh right around january time frame and uh it was really centered around educating people on the food system, right? So we were writing for Texas Slim. I was actually writing for Texas Slim in December. And it was kind of a mission of uh, writing about regenerative agriculture and figuring out exactly what was happening in the food system because it's our, kind of our fundamental belief that the food that we are creating uh, really does need to be uh, the, the food system does need to be changed in a fundamental way. And so a lot of that just starts with the processes behind the, the food system. And most people just don't even understand like what, you know, they show up at the grocery store. They don't really have any deeper connection with the products or food that they're putting in their mouth yeah. other than they, they just show up at the grocery store and they go shopping. And if they spend a little bit more time reading labels or like reading where these things are actually coming from, they would realize that like, you know, it's, it's not local. Usually it's not, doesn't have, uh, you know, not raised with, uh, you know, the processes that support a healthier person and a healthier planet. So we really just gotten passionate around the idea of just teaching these fundamental topics around the food system. Um, we started writing on Twitter, things started to pick up, got some traction and then um, we kind of parlayed that into the podcast that we're running right now. But, um, you know, before that, Brett and I were, so Brett and I in the fall of that year, were living together for three months and sleeping on your floor. <laughs> I was sleeping on Harry's floor when he started writing for Slim. Which, which was fun because at the time we were training for this race together and Brett sleeping on my floor. It's like the, this like shared energy of just like being there with your buddy 
and cooking all our meals together, having these conversations, starting to be more creative was just this moment in time that I don't think either of us will ever really forget or, or and, and we'll only continue to appreciate it more and more because we were kind of really able to pivot and just focus on the things that we actually really wanted to put our, our life's like energy into. And so it, it was just this amazing moment in time where, you know, we had both kind of moved away from our hometowns or, or cities that we've been in for a while and now uh, gotten to Austin and, and we're just like kind of met on a mission. And so yeah. we, uh, you know, we both had our own food journeys. Mine was really just around, uh, you know, a few months prior to that, uh, you know, 12 to 18 months, just got really sharp with the nutrition stuff in terms of just eating really intentionally around animal-based nutrition, lost some weight, um, had always been in shape, but was, was just like at the point where I kind of dialed it all in and, um, it, it, it changed my life. Like it, I was, you know, working a corporate job. And at that point, like once that shoe hit the, hit the ground and I was in the best shape of my life, I was like, all right, like, let's go get some more. And yeah. Like, let's go mm-hmm. figure out something that I'm really passionate about. So, oh, yeah. um, yeah, that that's kind of my quick and dirty backstory. Brett's got a, a way better health story to tell, but yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, I, th- and I think our stories play off of each other pretty well too, which is unintentional, but it's just a natural thing where I think, you know, what Harry experiences, what a lot of people can relate to this feeling of working like, you know, fiat nine to five, you're very sedentary, you're hunched over a computer, you're staring at blue light screens. Yeah. And you know, these offices, it's Cheez-Its, it's Chips Ahoy, it's happy hours, it's ordering out foods, refined, you know, cooked in seed oils. And the next thing you know, it's like you put on 20 to 30 pounds. Mm. It's this like gradual decay. So you don't really notice it. And the next thing you know, you're like, oh my gosh, I put on 30 pounds. I need to lose this. So right. I know for you, it was like, you just started changing yeah. your foods and started walking and like you lost the weight and felt, and that was like your pillar for us to sign up for the race. Yeah. 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 It, I mean, it's funny, like thinking back now, like what I was doing, it was like, you get stuck in these patterns, right? Like, you know, I would show up, I was working in a cubicle. I was in Excel all day and PowerPoint all day, uh, working for uh, a real estate investment company. So like, you know, I'm sitting there like not loving what I'm doing and like, the things that are happening in the peripherals are like, you know, every time I go to the bathroom, I'm yeah. grabbing like a thing of Oreos or Doritos. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. dude, my pattern, my habits were changing and I didn't even really, I like, of course I knew that they were changing, but like previously I'm just like athlete, eat well, like very intentional about all these things. And then you, you get distracted by life. Yeah. You know, things mm. get in the way. It's everyone knows what that means, right? Yeah. Like yeah. whether it's, uh, the job, kids, family, like, you know, parents, uh, anything, you know, yeah. stuff just gets in the way. And yeah. Um, yeah, like it's just easy to get distracted now with, when it comes to taking care of yourself. And that was totally so my easy. case where I was like, I just wasn't, I wasn't being that intentional and taking care of myself in the way that I should. Yeah. And um, yeah, I just like shifted my perspective on things when COVID hit. Like I got all this time allotted back to me, mm. you know, basically two hours, one hour each way in terms of commuting. Like I would yeah. take the bus to work. And uh, once things were completely shut down and remote, I was like, dude, I've got two hours back. Yeah. I'm gonna, yeah. <laughs> like I'm going to, I'm going to sleep a little, a little more. I'm going to focus on the sleep and yeah. then I'm going to start cooking all my meals, which was totally, you know, it was not Game what I, uh, dude, I would, yeah, I was, dude, I was eating in the food court of this I, I worked in the the Prudential Center in Boston, right? Yep. You know, you know Boston. Oh yeah. And so they've got all these restaurants in the at the ground floor, and that's where I would eat my lunch every day. I wasn't bringing lunch in, like 
you know, someone who's prepared and like really being intentional about what they're going to eat, they're going to bring their lunch into work. Like I was just like, wasn't focused on it. So I would just go and, and pay for it. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I paid for it more, in more ways than one. Like sometimes <laughs> it wasn't always like the right food choices. I would I go to, you know, uh, Shake Shack or whatever. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah. And uh, whatever's there. Yeah. And yeah. so when, you know, when COVID hit, I, I just brought everything back in house and started cooking all my meals. And then on the like fitness side, I was like, just simplify this shit. Like yeah. you don't need to be, you don't need to be Arnold Schwarzenegger to, to look healthy. You can just go, go out and make sure you're getting all your steps in and do some basic, basic calisthenics. Like I, I had like a set of like Olympic uh, rings, like gymnastics rings. Yeah. And after like just kind of spending basically two to four weeks of just walking, I was like, let's throw these rings up and start getting some like s- some good workouts in. Yeah. And I noticed like in, in a very short period of time, body was just totally changing. Interesting. And uh, yeah. it was just, I, I think a matter of just building kind of the foundation and then progressing from there. Uh, which is hard to do. I mean, you can't just like that moment in time with COVID is like a lot of variables froze. Like Mm. a lot of life was, was on pause. Yeah. Social life, family, like everyone, no one was asking anything of you. Right. So at that moment in time, I was like, all right, like I don't have shit to do. Let's like focus on this. Yeah. There were like two types. There were like two archetypes. There was one person that was using as an excuse, like, oh, I'm just going to order out and watch Netflix. And there's people like Harry that were like, well, damn, I have two hours to, extra time to sleep and work out yeah. and st- you start changing your food. And then it's like a chain reaction to right. see what you can turn yourself into. Yeah. It was funny. We had like a poker group, me and my buddies, we would play like virtual poker once a week and uh, I wasn't drinking during, during COVID. And they were like, that's like, and I was like, yeah, I'm like using it as like a time to like, you know, get better. And they're like, that's the most hairy thing I've ever heard. <laughs> oh, 100%. Well, I have uh, a, um, I mean, a lot, a lot of Bitcoiners are probably like, ah, Ryan Holiday, right? But I, I listen to a lot of Ryan Holiday, <laughs> yeah. right? And uh, especially, you know, the stoic practices and, and, and all that. Uh, by the way, I love that he has a concise, like, five-minute podcast, every, like a yes. daily meditation. I yeah. think that's amazing. Yeah. But anyways, my point is, is during COVID, he had this really big thing that he was going on where he was basically saying sort of what y'all saying, which is like, you, you have two ways to do this. There's a live time and then there's dead time, right? So like, it's 100%. up to you if you want to go and like write the next book that you wanted to write or work out more or do what you, that's a live time. And then you'll have those people that are just sitting around stagnant and making it dead time and then kicking themselves in the ass because the world is not revolving around or adapting to their lifestyle. You have to adapt to it, they start, the current condition. And that always 100%. stuck out with me, right? I, yeah. I always thought a live time, just that's an easy way to simplify it. And I don't know about y'all. Well, actually, I do know about y'all. But like most people are going to want a lifetime. I'm sure yes. a lot of people are not going to want to feel like they ain't doing anything. Um, so similar to what y'all are saying, I thought that was uh, uh, COVID was a big opportunity for a lot of people to change their lives, whether they did or not. Yeah, that's up to that particular person. Yeah, it was uh, so probably the only time period in history, at least for the three of us uh, being alive, where you were fully taken out of your routine. Right. And you really started to question a lot of things. So for both of us too, like just to get back to our origin story, right? It's like we played college baseball together. We went to a small little school up in Boston. I know you're a mass guy. Mm -hmm. And um, Harry was working in Boston, the corporate job that he mentioned. I was working in New York City. And we used COVID as a reflection point to be like, well, we're not really passionate about this job, these jobs that we're in, but we think that we're capable of something more. And we both separately had our experiences with nutrition. So Harry, you know, lost a bunch of weight through this diet, and then for me, I had some really bad autoimmune issues that I cured through a carnivore diet. So it's interesting when we think about metabolic health, 
we we definitely focus on the aesthetics, like if someone's overweight or do they look good, but there's a lot of things in, ter- in regards to your health that matter in terms of what's actually going on underneath the hood. Right. You know, what's the quality of your gut health like? What's your mental health like? And for me, I just had pretty much like crippling stomach issues. So, um, and you've, I know you've heard this story, but going into my senior year of college, I was 21 and I got diagnosed with ulcerative colitis, which is an inflammatory bowel disease that affects your colon, which is your large intestine. And it's just this buildup of inflammation from stress, poor diet, drinking too much, not sleeping enough. And I was literally going to the bathroom 20 to 30 times a day, like straight blood basically. So I lost, I lost over 20 pounds. I was down to like 150. Normally I'm around like 180 yep. and was told, Hey, you know, these, these autoimmune conditions, there's no cure. The best that we can do is put you into remission. So they immediately put you on medication. So I was on a cocktail of prednisone, which is a steroid, Lialda, and then the big hitter, which is a drug called Remicade, which is an immunosuppressant drug. And you get it through, uh, through an IV administered shit. Yeah. And so that's, that's how they're saying we're going to put this disease into remission. Yeah. So the Remicade was $50,000 per infusion. And I was to get that every eight weeks. So I'm costing the medical system literally millions of dollars for the time that I'm on this drug. Yeah. Let alone there's, I think there's anywhere from 600 to 900,000 people that have colitis. Yeah. Let alone all the other people that had autoimmune <laughs> diseases that are on this drug. It's, it's so expensive. It's, it's insane. Yeah. Um, so I go on this drug and I'm start, I'm starting to feel better. And like, that's the thing with our story is that we're not anti-Western medicine. Okay. It's just that because my stomach was so flared up, I needed something to get me out of this initial flare because I just couldn't take food in. Right. But, you know, we're not, none of, no one was talking to me about diet and lifestyle. They're just saying, hey, you need to go on this drug. You're going to be on it for the rest of your life. And that's how you kind of get out of this ditch that you're currently in. Right. So I start doing some endurance races after I graduate college. I'm starting to feel better. I'm physically in better shape, but I'm still having stomach issues. I was probably still going to the bathroom like five times a day. Okay. And then in 2019, the carnivore diet is starting to get more popularized. Sean, Dr. Sean Baker goes on Joe Rogan. Um, you know, he's by far the most popular figure in the carnivore space. Sure. He was an emer- emergency surgeon, veteran, incredible athlete. He set the world records for rowing and all these other things. I think he's got like a 600 pound deadlift. The guy's a stud. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I but know his, know, do you yeah. know him? I do know him. Yeah. I didn't know about the rowing or yeah. the, the deadlift record. That's Dude, we insane. met him in San Diego and we were like Chinese dolls. Yeah. You know, the dolls that you put in one, inside one another? <laughs> like, dude, I'm like 6'4". This guy is massive. Yeah. yeah it, he's I huge. mean, his, his trap game is- He's a beast. Yeah. He's a beast. And he's like 55. Yeah. Drug free. And his whole theory is that, you know, evolutionarily, we're supposed to be carnivores yeah. and we thrive off of animal products, beef, chickens, uh, fish, eggs- and not only do we thrive off of them, they're some of the most digestible, nutrient-dense things we can put into our body, yeah. which is obviously like contrary to Western medicine and what we've been told our entire lives, right? Most of us have been told, you know, red meat is carcinogenic, it causes cancer, it causes heart disease. He believes in the complete opposite. So I listened to his podcast on Joe Rogan. Yep. I'm like, all right, well, here's a legitimate MD that's thriving on this diet. He's a great athlete. And then I started seeing on Reddit, when I started doing research on this diet, there were all these people with autoimmune diseases that were claiming by eating this carnivore diet, they're they're effectively curing their diseases. Wow. And there were people with Crohn's, colitis, irritable bowel syndrome, eczema, psoriasis, they're all talking about this. Right. And so I'm sitting here thinking, well, I don't feel as good as I could, 
But if I'm able to eat this diet and get off of this medication, why would I not at least try and do that? hundred. Right? Because yeah, yeah, yeah. my life was relying on this drug. So it's right. like, hey, I can't go book a vacation because I need to go get this infusion every eight weeks. So like, right. you know, there's all these little implications in your life that you don't really think about. Yeah. And there's all these other side effects that are tied to being on a drug like that for long term, which is also a common side effect in Western medicine. The drug is treating one thing and then causing all these other side effects. Destroying you slowly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So for me, it was like, I I made a mental and kind of spiritual shift of like, okay, I think that there's po- a possibility that I could heal through holistic measures, Yeah, which is something Harry and I have been spending a lot of time thinking about of like, there does have to be that mental shift if you want to heal. Yeah. It can't just be, you know, you can eat the best foods, drink the best quality water, do this biohacking regimen, but until you actually make that shift that you can heal, yeah, that's really that you need to turn the switch basically. Yeah. So I flipped the switch. And then I very vividly remember buying all these products in the grocery store, ton of steak, ground beef, chicken. Um, I was in this tiny little New York City apartment learning how to cook all my meals for the first time. And I was like, oh, let me do this for two weeks and just see how I feel. Yeah. Literally within like the first four days, my, my stomach went, I was literally, I went down from going to the bathroom five to six times a day to like one to two wow. max, which, and for someone with colitis, that's literally unheard of. Like yeah. within a few days, that's all it took. And then my skin got better. My anxiety went away. I was like making gains at the gym really quickly because your body's like finally responding to all the nutrients that it's been deprived of. Mm, And that's interesting. Yeah. yeah, And I really view that as like the catalyst for changing my life and part of what we're doing now, because it's like you get these positive benefits. And then I'm noticing that the inflammation is going away in my stomach to the point where it's like, it's getting better and better every year. Cause I started this in 2019. Last year, I go back to my doctor all my inflammation was gone. All my microinflammation wow. was gone. And he was comfortable getting me off of Remicade. Yeah. And to my knowledge, I believe I'm the first patient that he's gotten off of it. I need to double check with that. Yeah. But it is so uncommon to get off of these drugs. Yeah. And the reason why we're telling the story is like a lot of the goal of what we're trying to do is to make these stories more and more common and right. prove to people that you can heal. And it's not a very co- complicated thing. It's it's a very simple system and it should be fun and it should just be able to be executed and easily implemented into your life day in and day out. Like you know, that. it's like yeah. we're in this this kind of metabolic crisis as a society. Right. And we don't think that that's overusing the term at all. Like if you literally check the statistics, like Harry mentioned this, 80% of Americans are metabolically unhealthy. Sure. 70% of adults are overweight or obese. Obviously with you having four kids, 40% of our kids are now overweight or obese, which yeah. is just unacceptable one in 10 kids now has fatty liver disease, which is something that aged alcoholics used to get from food. Yeah. yeah, So that's mind boggling. Yeah. When you look at the statistics, you're like, all right, what we're doing clearly isn't working. Yeah. And there has to be a way to be able to fix some of these issues that are going on. And we believe that there is, and that's really what motivates what we do. Yeah. Which is, I mean, for anybody who's paying attention, because a lot of people are going to go with like, well, it's easier to ignore it. Right, a lot mm-hmm. of people that, and I love that you can continue to use the word heal mm-hmm. as opposed to like shed fat or, or anything yes. like that, because that sounds very, I think it sounds cringe, but it, it sounds very like, oh, there's only one way to shed fat mm-hmm. or only one way to be healthy. But you shifted the mindset to heal. Like heal. You say a lot of heal. Now, when you were saying that your mindset has to switch completely and you're using the term heal, one from the outside would say, well, I don't need to heal. I'm okay. Like you guys said, you were athletes. Mm-hmm. You didn't think you needed to heal. You guys, yeah. you thought were good. So what would you tell that person that's basically saying, oh, that's good. He, they're probably talking to the 300 pounder, but they're not talking to me. I, I'm an athlete. 
right? You yeah. know, you know what I mean? Like, totally. what would you say to that person? I mean, I think, I think the statistics honestly speak for themselves. And I was someone that I, I was that person where I'm like, right. I'm 180 pounds. I'm a college athlete. I look, I look healthy. I'm drinking my pre-workout and my protein shakes and all this stuff. Yeah. But there was a lot of stuff that was going on under the hood that, yeah. that really wasn't right. Right. And now we're just in the situation where, where most of us, we're not eating food. We're eating these food-like substances and you can get to a point where you continue to not give your genes what it wants. And then you end up in this situation where you might have some type of a chronic disease or an autoimmune issue. You know, sperm count is the lowest it's ever been in recorded history. All these things that are happening to quote unquote healthy people yeah. that really aren't normal. It's like mm. we've normalized things that were never meant to be normalized in the first place. Um, right. And also, why wouldn't you try and optimize and feel as good as you possibly can? Right. Like, just, I don't want to live a life where, I don't think any of us want to live a life where we're just going through the motions. Yeah. And the reason why we're so passionate about this is like, I thought that I was doing well. Yeah. And then I started playing around with my diet and eating real foods. Yeah. And it literally changed my life in terms of the man that I was, the human that I was, the mindset that I had, my ability to work. And I was in a sales job and ended up performing way better. Like these are literally priceless investments that you're making just by taking control of the food that you're putting into your system. So you know, yeah. that's what comes to mind for me. I don't know. What do you, what do you think? Yeah. We had a great conversation with uh, Zane Griggs the other day. We, we had him on our podcast and he's, he's this guy who's kind of coined this phrase, uh, healthy AF, healthy after 50. Mm. And uh, <laughs> nice. yeah. it's like, it might not be affecting you now, but like, just wait five years. Like if you're the kid who can crush a bag of, if you're the 20 year old, who's just sitting there hammering Doritos and you, right. you still have a six pack, dude, congrats. Like that's yeah. fucking awesome. <laughs> but like, but like eventually it will catch up to you. Right. And um, yeah. And, and, you know, on the individual level, like those things are important over t a long enough period of time. Like, you know, these habits do eventually like they catch up to you, they do. but mm -hmm. on a bigger level, like societal level, it's like the food system is, is just genuinely putting people in the hospital. Like the food yeah. quality that we have um, just is driving people in, in, these directions that are just purely unsustainable and unhealthy. Right. And um, the, the fiat dollars that back all that, right? Like I was talking to uh, Andy from Crowd Health uh, yeah. a few weeks ago and like that whole like trifecta is what I would call, he didn't call it that, mm -hmm. but that whole like, you know, money's broken, right? Like uh, healthcare is broken, food is broken and they all kind of like play off of each other into this like round around pyramid that's Absolutely. basically just fucking over generation after generation while they... Um, while they basically profit and proceed and put it in their pockets. A good example that I like to think about is had nothing to do with um, with those three. It was technology, but I forgot the name of the documentary, something about like the social experiment, something like that. But mm -hmm. where the guy very early on was like, hey, like the owners of these companies don't let their kids consume the shit that they put out. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. There's no Google searching for What's my kids, problem? right? <sighs> like, Yes. I, it was, it's on Netflix and people were literally deleting their social media. But yeah. yeah, like one of the guys that had built out one of the major tech platforms was like, yeah, I don't let my kids on the same app. And I'm right. Like, what the fuck? So I'm I'm like, I have a yeah. feeling when I'm guessing that this is the same case for like the food industry. And like, oh, totally I'm sure weird. like the guy who invented, you know, the, the pharmaceutical that's eating the most money in the market right now. I'm sure his last best case scenario is I want any of my family members using this shit. Right? Like, he's like, yo, get the fuck away from that. But yeah. he'll serve it to your family and he'll serve it to that family or his company. Well, not him personally or she. Uh, but that's something that I think about all the time. And then another thing that you were talking about, Harry, that I think about a lot is the biggest thing that I used to fight with, especially with kids, and I hear, I still hear it all the time, is 
shit is just too expensive. Like, mm-hmm. I, I can't live this way. I can't. But what you were saying, I agree with. It's like, all right, well, all of us, especially in Bitcoin, we talk about low time preference. We talk about and some of them are investors. Some of them are doing all that. Well, what's it's the ultimate investment to pay a little bit more for food now and pay a lot less yes. for being in the hospital over and over mm-hmm. again. Yeah. Did you guys agree with that? Oh, totally. Yeah. And, and um, we had Joel Salton on the podcast, who's yep. uh, the owner of Polyface Farm in Virginia. And he's probably the best, one of the best, he's a Will Harris, one of the best voices mm-hmm. out there in terms gotcha. of speaking to these topics. And he talks about how uh, as food has gotten cheaper, healthcare has gotten more expensive, mm. but the total percentage of that cost in our budgets has remained the same. So we're just seeing healthcare and food costs invert. What would you rather spend your money on, food or healthcare? Right. Uh, for me, it's like food, 100%. Food, 100%. Yes. You know, yeah. nour- nourish yourself so you can go out and live that active lifestyle. Teach your kids how to actually engage with food in a way that's actually meaningful. They understand, all right, like this is a very fundamental part of my life. Uh, it, it gives me the energy to go do the things I want to do with my life. And on top of that, like there's there's enjoyment around like mm-hmm. these social engagements when it comes to food, like teaching your kid how to cook. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty priceless. I remember like learning how to cook with my grandma. Yeah. I'll, I'll never forget those mm-hmm. memories. Like, point, you know, yeah. sitting on the counter while she's making whipped cream. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's amazing. You know, yeah. Priceless you memories. Yeah. yeah. And and she, so. No, no, you go ahead. You're, no, I was going to say is another thing that uh, I was talking to Andy about, which I it hurts my heart every time I think about it is, so my mom is what I say got captured by pharmaceutical industry. So she, before goes to bed, has a little lineup of like 10 different things or whatever, overweight, et cetera. Um, but the, the one thing, we could talk about money all we want and how much it's going to cost you in the long run. But the one thing that I always feel bad about is she or anybody in her position will never get back the time. Yes. That they spent at the hospital, appointments, uh, procedures, labs, whatever it is. My mom literally spends like if we want to break down like a 40 hour work week, my mom probably spends about 30 to 35 hours of that week sitting, waiting for the doctor. Some dipshit that doesn't give a two dams about her because now it's like fast food. Now it's like get them in and get them out so we can get yeah. to the next yes. person. And what I what I what crushes my heart is that it's like, look, you know, money, whatever, insurance, different ways to offset that time lost forever. Yes. There's no way to offset that. She won't be able to spend time with her grandchildren as much as she should, or her children as much as she should. And that stuff kills me. And I I, I think people should realize that. And it captures your focus too. I mean, if you're just going yep. to the the doctor like at that high of a frequency weekly, you know, like that's like part of your weekly schedule. Yeah. Going going in and sitting there and getting your, you know, checkups and whatever it is. Yeah. Damn near a part time job for her. If you think yeah. about it. Yeah. She's there yeah. so damn often. And then it's like we we circled back. We talk about, you know, like um, you know, seed oils and stuff like that. And she remembers, she literally told me, she's like, Look, um and she kind of forgot about it, but like the Eureka moment when I was talking to her about seed oils was like we came from Puerto Rico and she's like you know, it's funny you should say that. We didn't know what the hell this vegetable oil shit was until we got to the United 100%. States. Like we were using, um, I think it's lard, but in Spanish they call it manteca, mm-hmm. which is pretty much just lard. Uh, but she was like, yeah, that's what we were using when you guys were young and you were growing up. And then we got to this country and then we go through the ropes of like housing and trying to build up. And then it's like, well, that vegetable oil shit was cheap as fuck. Yes. She didn't say that, but. <laughs> no, but it, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was the true. gist of, of, yeah. of what she was trying to say, which is like. We needed to get that vegetable oil because everything else was just so damn expensive for us at the time. Yes. And then it just became a habit. Then it was like, oh, go grab that liter of canola oil or whatever the hell it was. And, you know, and I, I attribute that with the open refrigerator policy as a reason why, you know, I struggled with weight. Um, not everybody in my family. My brother had that good gene, I guess. He was fit yeah. his whole life. But yeah. uh, my sister, my mom, 
uh, we all struggled with weight. And I think it was just that, like, manipulation of, like, don't do what you did, I guess, back in our situation, back in your country. Do what we do here in America. Yes. Uh, and I think that's a big problem. So can you guys speak a little bit more on, um, I call it the facade, but what's happening here in America specifically when it comes to the food? Because you hear the stories all the time of people in Europe saying, what the fuck are y'all doing? Like, 100%. What are you guys eating that, it's illegal here. Why are you guys eating it? Can you t- talk a little bit more about what's going on there? That's literally what happened when you, were you working overseas at CBRE or were you studying abroad when people were <laughs> yeah, like no, making was... fun of you for being American and <laughs> the shit that we eat? So I was, uh, yeah, I was, I was working overseas. I was working in Amsterdam and um, we did like an exchange program, right? So there was an analyst who went over to, to Boston where I was working and I went over to Amsterdam. We had some overlap. So I, I came back and he was still in the US and I'm talking to him. I'm like, oh, you, you've got to love this restaurant. Like it's, it's like healthy food and all that stuff. He's like, dude, it is it, like, it's gross. Like it's salty. It's uh, like, he, he was just, just saying all these things that like, my palate had just gotten used to. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, like, you know, that's one instance. And, and I, uh, it's funny just having these like cultural like experiences. I, I think like Europeans are very, 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 very interested in how Americans view food. Cause we invented or made popular fast food. Like, I think they're just like, this is so against our culture. Like food is not <laughs> supposed to be fast. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, so I, like I lived in an Italian household when I was in school for a semester and the kid that I was, he was 18 years old at the time, super curious guy and he would just ask me questions all the time about like, what, like what's American food like? Like, you know, these questions that he like has no idea. He's right. an Italian kid. He's like never been to America. Just curious, like trying to figure out like, like, you know, he sees it in movies. He's like, just thinks it's funny. Right. And yeah, um, yeah I mean, there's just, you know, if, if you, you zoom out and try to like look, look at exactly what's happened, it's we've made food fast and cheap now. And it's no longer, uh, it's no longer really about like sustaining our energy and our life. It's like, how quickly can we get this thing on the table? And uh, that whole ethos isn't just like, it doesn't start and stop with, you know, you consuming the food. It's how they're actually raising the crops too. It's how they're uh, you know, thinking about extracting every single uh, thing out of the soil to, to or, or essentially not even extracting anything out of the soil. They're adding fertilizer to the soil and spraying herbicides and pesticides onto the soil just to raise this one single crop to then go get thrown into, you know, the bag of Lay's potato chips or whatever it is. Um, yeah. And like everyone who's listening to this show is, is familiar with the, the relationship between centralization and decentralization. And it's so prevalent in food. Like yeah. as much as the, the money conversation uh, we can, we can talk about centralization and decentralization food is the, is, is such a fundamental example of how bad that has gotten. Uh, yeah. Like a hundred percent, the top four agrochemical companies make up 78% or sorry, top six is 78%. Top four is 68%. Um, of that market. And those are the same four companies that own all of the seed and genetic companies to create. So, so like, you know, they're, they're like basically one of the same, like they're creating these chemicals that are very abusive to the soil, but help grow these seeds. Yeah. And it, at the end of the day, like the only thing that's really suffering is the soil and the people who are eating that food. Cause it's just, it's like void of nutrients. It's yeah. all like highly processed. It ends up getting highly processed. 
or it goes to a feedlot and funnels into like the fiat uh, feedlot agriculture system. Mm-hmm. So it's like all these, it's all, I mean, you can just look at it through the lens of like the fiat system versus, you know, what, what should we be supporting? The fiat system is just this kind of closed loop of like terrible incentives, incentivizing yeah. all the wrong behavior around monocrop agriculture. Mm-hmm. And then that just gets funneled into all the food products that are in the middle of the grocery store. Right. hundred yeah. percent. I think even a playoff of what Harry said, I think everything he's saying about, you know, just the, the middle aisle of the grocery store, that's something we spend a lot of time thinking about. Yep. I don't know. Did you ever see Food Inc.? You, uh, no, I think I'm one of the few that haven't, okay. but I know what it is. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. it's ama- obviously an amazing documentary, yeah. and it came out in 2009, and I remember watching it. I think I was like a freshman in high school, and everyone should go back and watch Food Inc. If you've seen it or if you haven't seen it, yep. because so many of the themes that they're talking about over a decade ago are still more true than ever. But Michael Pollan is narrating the intro, and he's like kind of doing like these different panoramas around the um, around the grocery store. One of the things he talks about is how there's really an illusion of choice when it comes to our food. And what he means by that is there's 33,000 products in the average grocery store. So you go in the inner aisles, it's all these colorful boxes and shapes and sizes and appearingly seemingly different brands, but really it, they're controlled by 10, about 10 companies whether it's like Kellogg's, General Mills, Procter & Gamble, Coca-Cola, Pepsi, we go down the whole list. Right. But it's really like about 10 companies that are controlling 33,000 products. Yeah. Um, and I think products is the key word because we're not eating food anymore the way that our ancestors ate food. We're not eating meat, fish, eggs, raw dairy, fruits, and vegetables. We're eating these things that, as Harry mentioned, it's a derivative of corn, wheat, soy, seed oil, refined sugar, all neatly combined into different combinations. And it starts to make sense. It's like, we're not giving our bodies what we actually want. Yeah. You know, humans, it's like, we pride ourselves on being the, you know, the top of the food chain. We're the only species in nature that doesn't, we don't know what to eat anymore. We don't know how to regulate our own body weight. We're the only species in nature besides the a domesticated dog, yeah. which we're giving <laughs> like, like uh, I think we um, we were talking to Dr. Anthony Chafee, who's a carnivore doctor, and one of the things he mentioned was that you know cats are carnivore and dogs are basically carnivore, and then we feed them kibble that's like from grain, and it's not even what they're supposed to be eating. So it's like we're even fucking stuff up for our own pets. Yeah, um, we're that bad at it. <laughs> exactly, and I think you know we could spend ten, ten hours talking about all the different reasons as to why we've ended up in this metabolic health crisis. Yeah. But I think Harry nailed it where it's it's just a matter of incentives, right? It's like right. when you have 10 companies that are pretty much controlling everything and there's this centralization, they're publicly traded. So they're maximizing profit for their shareholders, which they're allowed to do. And there's right. just been this strange corporatization that's gone on with the food that we've eaten that's just led us into the situation that we're in now. Yeah. And the shit is literally everywhere. Like Harry was mentioning, you're in the office, for Cheez-Its, Oreos, you go to the gas food, you go to the gas station. It's not even a gas station. It's like a junk food emporium yeah, or, a market or a CVS. Sure. Yeah, yeah. You go to the airport. There's literally a Coca-Cola vending machine every 20 yards, which is literally their distribution yeah. strategy. They want a Coke with right. an arm's length. So, you know, we can, we can put on the tinfoil hat and say, is it malicious or is it not malicious? That was my next question. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Like if, yeah. You, if you go and say, it was it to actually try to help solve a problem or was it intentional from the beginning to say, oh no, we're about to... Uh, we're about to, no pun intended, eat off of these assholes, basically, right? Like, we're going to, yeah. like, put the colorful boxes and they can't help themselves. They're going to just, or was it like, no, nah, we need to solve world hunger or, or no, nah, we need to make things more affordable for the average American? Like, what do you got? If you were to put that 10-4 hat on, what do you think? Oh, it's such a good question. What do you, 
I think, yeah, everyone, you know, where it's gotten to now, it's like you, you really need to like peel it all the way back to when things started getting weird, which is like in the 50s, like 45% of people grew their own food. So there was like some sense of like food independence, but we've just gotten more and more dependent on these big food companies. And I do think that a lot of that has been driven by just this, you know, tunnel vision to continue to profit off of food. And they, they figured out like nefarious acts in the food system, I would say are like these food scientists understand exactly what makes people addicted to food. Yeah. That's, that's nefarious. A hundred percent. Right. Like you're, you're chemically figuring out exactly how to make people addicted to this product that you know is not great for people. Right. You also end up paying for the studies to say saturated fat is bad for people instead of sugar. Yeah. That's nefarious. Right. You're trying to manipulate people. (laughs) So it's like when you, and, and I don't, you know, I think the tin, you put the tinfoil hat on when you say this is all orchestrated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But like, I think these are all like kind of individual like acts that yeah. like when you add it all up, you look back and you go, holy shit, these, you know, people are just corrupt. They're gonna like, they're, they're acting on the incentive to make more money off this stuff. And like, whether it's all orchestrated in uni- in uniform and in unison, who the hell knows. Right. But these individual acts are like you could you could go through the food system yeah like year by year and just rack up nefarious acts 100%. Uh, yeah so the action is it speaks louder than the words yeah right? you could just you pulled out three or four right there and then yeah. it's just like all right well this yeah. is happening <laughs> yeah well, and it's like it's food yeah. and then it's like like the thing that gets me because food food's bad like big i think big food like mark predatory marketing on kids to me is like as as bad as it gets yeah right it's evil like these kids are sitting on their iPads, laptop now or TV back, you know, in the day. Yeah. And they're watching programs that are programming them. Yeah. And in the middle of their those TV shows, there's food ads. Right. And they're not for healthy products. No. <laughs> no, no. They're, uh. they're for things that are making, going to have lifelong effects on these kids right. who are, you know, b- built in that habit building phase of their life. And you know, as a parent, like food choices for yourself are hard. Yeah. You trying to get your kid to eat the right food choices is probably twice as hard. Super <laughs> hard. Right. Yeah. yeah. And my so, little guy uh, has autism and that's even another level because yeah. he, he's dialed yeah. in on like, hey, this is what I like. Mm. Either, either, you know, so it, yeah, yeah, it becomes difficult as a parent. Uh, we try not to make excuses, but I do have sympathy for the parents that just don't have the time. Right. And, and make the quick excuse because I think the predatory part of fast food in particular is damn it's so expensive to live that yes. mom and dad need to go to work like so hey little Charlie uh, I'm gonna get you this burger really damn quick totally because I need to get back because if I, if I don't get back my manager's gonna fire me and then little Charlie's not gonna have the burger but he's also not gonna have the roof yeah that's a huge problem that uh, growing up we were okay but like me and my wife Thankfully, as of now, she's been able to stay at home with them. I've been able to, to successfully get her to stay home, homeschool our kids and do all that. But for a long time, when we first got together, it was that. It was like, well, who's going to babysit the kids today? Where are we going to drop them off on the way there? Yes. Do we stop and get a pizza because we need to go, go, go? Yeah. Right? And I think uh, a lot of people, not a lot of people, but I hate speaking for generalizing people. But for the most part, there isn't enough sympathy that goes out to those parents that 
are not trying to poison their kids. No. They're just trying to survive. They're just trying to pay the damn bills. And that's hard. Yes. And and to your point, I mean, these meals are so cheap and they're so quick and they're so convenient. It's like, well, damn, I got to get back to work like you're saying. So for us in that instance, it's like, okay, well, can you still go to Burger King or McDonald's and just throw away the bun so you're at least giving your kids some beef with some cheese so they're getting protein, getting fat without, you know, a bun that's loaded with seed oils or the fries that are cooked in seed oils and, yeah. you know, with iodized salt and everything like that. As a way to move around it. Yeah. 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 I, yeah. I think a lot of what we come back to is like this, um, you know, th- this concept of energy when it comes to to health. And I know something that's big in the Bitcoin community is, is um, I think Drew and AJ Scalia have talked about this before this, you know, when, when we think about energy with these ESG narratives and initiatives, we think a lot about conserving energy and how that's such a good thing. And that also has kind of gotten applied to our food system too, right? Where it's like these products are trying to be designed to be cheap, efficient, and with as low energy as possible. Where it's like, honestly, when you look at the things that are healthy, hunting an animal, raising soil the right way, um, raising fruits, vegetables, all these things the right way, there's like energy, there's effort that's required there. Right. And that's really what determines if the food is healthy is the energy that's going into that, those inputs. And I think the same thing can be said for us, like choosing to make these decisions of like, look, I'm going to take the extra 15 minutes to cook two pounds of ground beef with some onions and garlic and throw in some fruit and some vegetables for my kids just to try and make it healthy. It's like, just trying to do what we can to like, just in, in, inject that little extra piece of energy that can make you healthy. Yeah. And really seeing that as an investment as opposed to just a time suck. Yeah. But at the same time, understanding people do have realistic time commitments and budgetary commitments and things like that. So yeah. it's a balance. It's an intentional thing too, which we've yeah. been talking about. Yeah, I keep using myself as an experience because since we moved out here to Texas, it's been completely different. And then, um, like I said, I've had, I've awarded my family the opportunity to have mom around 24 seven, right? So. Yes. A good example is mom, you know, with Spanish background. I don't know if you guys know where empanadillas are, like empanadas. Mm-hmm. Or whatever. Oh, yeah. yeah. So there's like dough wrapped in something inside. Yes. So we, you know, my little guy is very, um, you know, particular about what he wants. So then my wife kind of just uh, rug pulled them in a nice way and she started making the dough herself. So instead of buying like the little sheets that you get at the grocery yes. store, which I turned around and it said something about bleaching and doing all this other stuff. I, I was like, hey, well, without him even noticing, why don't you just like try to make this dough yourself and then make the empanada yourself? And not to our surprise, he loves him. Like it's amazing. Nice. Way more, right? And then yeah. Yeah. also my my uh, my eleven year old too. Um, she was telling me today she was like uh, she made the same empanadas but like a breakfast version. So they're pretty much like hot pockets now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but she made the dough herself. Just a few ingredients: uh, grass fed butter. Um, I don't know. I don't want to call her out. She's the one that does it. But it's pretty clean. And um, yeah, now they're loving it. Now that makes us feel better. But it makes me feel better that she has the time to get, you know, to do that, to actually make the dough and to be able to make it their way. So what we've been trying to do is basically just, um, I'm going to use rug pull as the example, but rug pull them away from dirty food yes. and have mom just make her own iterations of it. Uh, and it seems to be working out very well. So Which, yeah, which is what we used to do, right? It's yeah. like, the, I think a good terminology is like the preparation is what makes the poison. Like, so you, you look at something like yeah. French fries, right? Yeah. Right, made the right way, chopped up potatoes, good quality sea salt, fried in tallow. Like that's a borderline health food. Whereas if you're like getting French fries at McDonald's from like some GMO raised potatoes, fried in seed oils, iodized salt, yeah, it's poison. Yeah, And so it, it's just interesting. It's like, even you were talking with your grandma, you said homemade whipped cream. Yeah. It's like, it's like heavy whipping cream, yeah. vanilla extract, 
like maybe a little bit of sugar or something like that, but like she's actually making it, which is a totally different product than whipped cream you're buying out of a jar. Right. Just like you with your son, it's like you're making, you know, you're making these little hot pocket empanada type things. Yeah. But they're, you know, your wife is making it. It's so much healthier than if you were just to buy it at like a gro grocery store or something like that. Yeah. Just that Control. word bleached is weird to me. Yes. Like we yeah. were getting a shoe. I was like, what the hell is bleached food? Yeah. Bleached. Yeah. <laughs> that was the first one. Like, obviously, Should it was a paragraph. Yeah. That was like a paragraph of stuff. That's <laughs> But like the second thing was like bleach something, something. And I'm just like, well, why does this need to be bleached? I yeah. mean, it's just a dough wrap. I mean, it's nothing else. And then that's when I was like, I've, I've been, uh, uh, I guess, a food Nazi at home, but for good intentions, right? Like, so I've been the guy that's like, hey, I hate to break this to y'all, but you can't have this. Like, we need to figure this out somehow, yes. some way. Um, and in the beginning, I was getting some resistance because convenience is a bitch. Uh, but now I think like me and my wife are aligned and, and, and now we're doing the best to try to make that a lot, you know, cleaner for the kids. And it, mm. it's working. But to any parent that's listening out there, it's a grind. Yes. It's something that, you know, you have to continually, continuously do. Also lead by example, right? Like it's not helpful to tell your kids you can't have that. And then when they see dad over there in the corner, he's over there eating the bleached empanada, right? And yes. Like, so that's something that I've been very focused on too is um, going to the farmer's market, getting uh, farm fresh eggs, getting raw milk, showing my 11-year-old because she gets it more like, hey, this is what real milk is supposed to look like mm -hmm. as opposed to that. And then having them taste it, right? Like, doesn't this milk taste so damn creamy, yeah. so damn good? <laughs> yes. And then she's rolling with it. But once again, to the parents, that shit doesn't happen by accident. You have to be intentional, as we keep using that word, to be able to do that and live that lifestyle. And I think with the help of y'all and, you know, so many other slims of the world, I personally am starting to see that. And the battle that I've had my whole life with up and down weight, I mean, it's not over. It's never over. Never right? over. But it's also one of those things that's more realistic now. And I don't do like... um Macro counting, calorie no. counting, yeah. none of that nonsense. Yeah, no, it's not helpful. I, I, I think it, it makes it almost that mindset is like you almost feel like captured by this idea of just like feeding yourself, right? Yeah. Like it's mm. like I don't know. I just think like the idea of dieting itself is mm. so flawed. Nightmare. It's, it's so, so flawed. flawed. Yeah, yeah. There's like this white knuckling and stress that's associated with it, where it's like you 100. you don't look forward to it at all. Whereas like. The, the diet that, or the, the style of eating that you've switched to that we've thrived on is this animal-based diet where you're eating a lot of animal protein, really good quality vegetables, good quality fruits, some raw dairy, a lot of butter, tallow, good cooking fats. And you realize that these meals are so satiating. True. You look forward to it and there's, there's, the effort is going into the preparation. But besides that, because you're eating so much really good nutrient-dense foods, you're saying you're staying satiated for a yeah. long time. And so your body starts to learn how to regulate its own hunger. So you wake up in the morning, maybe you're not hungry. Maybe you just drink a coffee. If you're hungry, you know, make a couple eggs, bacon for lunch, you know, have some, some ground beef, some fruit, some vegetable, if I'm feeling it, sometimes just the meat. Yeah. And then that holds me over for another, you know, five, six hours until so dinner. Right. So you don't feel this need to consistently drip on these carbohydrates that aren't actually giving your body what, what it wants. Right. It's like that feeling of, you know, you crush a whole bag of Doritos and then you're starving 30 minutes afterwards because there's no nutrients in there. If your body is hungry, it's telling you that it wants more. You didn't give it what it wanted, right. um, which is why this style of eating real foods is so amazing is you're giving your body what it wants and it's responding to that. Um, yeah. And it's to the point where it's like, if you go out to dinner, say you're going out to eat like a crappy pizzeria or something for your kids, yeah. you're like, well, this, this isn't on my diet, but I'm not hungry. So I'm just, I'm just not going to eat. I'm just going to fast. Yeah. It's almost like a super superpower because especially in Western culture, you feel like you always need to eat when there's food out. Right. Yeah. Right. right. That's a good yeah. Hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. We had a we had uh 
this guy on our podcast, Dr. Bill Schindler. Yep. He mm. spent a whole year foraging for his own food. And then he also talked about, so like he wouldn't eat anything. He and his entire family wouldn't eat anything that he didn't like raise himself, hunt for himself, or go out and like forage for it. Wow. Which is nice. That's, that's, a, yeah, that's just in, as intentional yeah. as you can get, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, but, but he go, he, he started talking about this idea, this concept of like, if you're the one who's going through the process of making every single input of every single recipe and ingredient that goes into these recipes, you, you'll have a whole new appreciation for like the process of making it, uh, what goes into it and you actually getting nourished from it. Cause like, it's kind of like what we've been talking about. It's like, if, if you're the one who's like sitting there doing every step of the whole process, yeah, like, okay, like, you start to get a better understanding of like what goes into all this stuff. And then, okay, maybe this, these tortillas shouldn't be as cheap as they are at the grocery store. Yeah, like right, it takes a lot of work to make that. So, um, and especially from scratch, good ones. Like, yeah. so it gets, I think like exercises like that, you don't need to take it to that extreme, but like just starting to cook your meals and like develop a better relationship with everything that goes into like high quality food yeah. is an important step, step of breaking that paradigm around like you know, that kind of, you know, mentality where you're just white knuckling and dieting all the time. Yeah. Like if you're putting that effort in on the upfront, like cooking or just sourcing really high quality ingredients, you're like, okay, I'm really spending a lot of time here. I better do it right. Yeah. Yeah. That proof of work. Yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. I, um, we rendered uh, tallow the, uh, for the first time uh, a few weeks. So I say a week cause my wife kind of leads in. I kind of just observe. Um, but yeah, that shit was not easy. I mean, right. like no. it, it, it took a it's while, a like a four hours. Right. Yeah. And it was still like, a tedious thing, but like the reward of it afterwards. Now we've had tallow for the past two weeks and it feels amazing. It's like, yes. oh no, we rendered that. And uh, shout out to Cole, everybody here. KNC is the, is the shit. Uh, but yeah, he um, being a great farmer, we haven't even talked about the farmer, but um, showed up to the door. Well, his, uh, a gentleman named Chris that works with him, which is an awesome, phenomenal guy. Showed up at the door. Um, we didn't pay for the tallow up front because there's no way to buy it on the website. I kind of just reach out to Cole and say, Hey, I want some, some tallow. I want some fat. Mm-hmm. And then he sent it. And then it was about, it was cheap. It was about like 20 bucks or something like that. But I was like, Hey, how do we pay you Venmo? Whatever you got to do. I want to pay in Bitcoin. Um, uh, Chris didn't know how to do it. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, basically long story, uh, less long. He was basically like, um, Hey, uh, Mr. Cole said it's on him, right? Like, you know, you guys are just good supporters and, and I'm thinking like, it's only 20 bucks, but like the amazing hospitality of somebody basically saying, hey, this like superpower ingredient that you could use to cook your food with, we're going to hand you that for free because we really value and we value uh, value your um, your appreciation. Like you're never going to get that in one of these stores. You're never going to yes. get like the owner of Target to say, hey, man, don't worry about that at the register. We're going to let you slide, even if it is good, which it probably is Um So I thought that was extremely fascinating. But to circle back, so what you were saying, Harry, it, it's proof of work. Like we, I would have never felt so honored about giving free tallow if I didn't actually render it myself and get the the output of all that input. Yeah, uh, totally. And, and I appreciate Cole for that. Um, I want to pivot real quick to, I don't think I've ever asked you guys this or know this, Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you, like, how did that correlation happen to y'all? When did you find out about Bitcoin? When did you like see the similarities with food and, and mm-hmm. you know, all that? When did that happen? Yeah, so... I, uh, I studied finance in college, worked in real estate after college. And then in 2018, um, was at this conference and it was a real estate conference, but one of the keynote or the, the guy who was speaking there, they had like one keynote speaker. 
uh, he, his name, he's now like the researcher at Coindesk. Uh, what's his name? It's like Michael, I'm, th- I'm forgetting his last name. Yep. Um, he, so he wrote a book um, on Bitcoin and that was like kind of my first introduction into what Bitcoin was. And at the time I kind of dismissed it. I listened to like mm-hmm. what my boss boss's thoughts were around Bitcoin, which was like too energy intensive. And I'm, you know, I was curious about it, but at the time just didn't really think much of it. So it was like 2018 and then 2020 rolls around and I had spent the last two years thinking about it and, you know, trying to figure out what exactly was this whole ecosystem of cryptocurrencies um, and had, you know, messed around with some like Ripple and Ethereum. Me too. And, <laughs> but, but when 2020 came around, it was like. Uh, March 2020, the world had frozen. Yep. And I was sitting there going, they're about to have to print their asses off to get themselves out of this. So I was interested in finding assets that were going to do well in that environment. So yeah. I bought like gold, silver, and Bitcoin. Mm, nice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which was like, you know, at the time I should have just only bought Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> but but uh, that was like when I really started to educate myself on Bitcoin was March 2020 forward because once you have the asset in hand and you're looking at it every day and you're seeing you know i think everyone learns more about bitcoin the more they stay in it and they figure out exactly what like this thing is insane it's every day society Mm -hmm. like has there's so many implications to the technological revolution that it is yeah it's like um that's when i got into it and then i've spent the past several like months trying to get everyone that I know to buy like every other Bitcoin. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Including <So>. me. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, once you see it, you can't see it. So it's like, um, 100%. and uh, that also, I mean, it plays a pretty important role in like, I was thinking about, um, you know, just the world at that point. It's like, I think, sh- you know, the world's about to, the fact that we're locked down for two weeks and then you know, three weeks, four weeks and so on. I was like, the world's going to be changing quickly. And that's like, I feel like, you know, I spent four years trying to learn finance in school yeah, and I hadn't, didn't learn uh, nearly as much uh, compared to what I've learned through under trying to understand Bitcoin. Yeah. It's like, for sure. What is money? Like, that's know, a big question. Yeah. 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 <laughs> now I'm with uh, you on that. I, um, I, I, what I love about Bitcoin is, is in this food conversation is very prevalent to that. And so is the healthcare conversation. Bitcoiners learn uh, learn about money, and we all know. But once we figure that out, like, Bitcoiners are very keen on solving big problems. Mm-hmm. Like, Bitcoiners are not just focused on, like, separating money and state, which is the original concept. Now we want to fix food. Yes. Now we want to fix healthcare. Now we want to fix these things. And they all stem back to the dollar. They all stem back to that concept. So, mm-hmm. although I never took financing in school, it's very easy for me to notice the fact that my dad is about 62 years old and still has to go punch into a job, that something is off here. This is the hardest working guy I've ever met in my life and probably will ever meet, but he see, he can't seem to get a break. Mm. And, and some of that can be, uh, or maybe he didn't know how to save money. Maybe he didn't know how to buy real estate. Maybe totally. he didn't know how to do, that's fine. But for the amount of work that he's put in, he shouldn't have to be limping around at 62 trying to figure it out. Yes. Right. And then that's when I started to figure out that it's like, oh shit, it's the money being stolen from him every single day mm. that has them in this position. And then, you know, you reverse engineer why you start looking into inflation. You start looking into what the fuck happened in 1971. Then you correlate that around that time food started getting destroyed. Yes. And then it's just like this whole big hodgepodge of big corners trying to figure out, 
not tackle like everyday bullshit like um, Ethereum tries to tackle like being the supercomputer of the world or like nonsense like that. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, we're going to take this hard money sound asset that you can't take from me. You have to literally murder me to separate me from my mm-hmm. Bitcoin. And now we're going to take this and make it be the lightning rod we need to slay the gods, to slay yes. the farmer gods, the food gods or whatever. Well, they call themselves the gods, but they're really just crony capitalists is what they are. But that's what fascinates me about Bitcoin. I think it's one of those things that nobody else in the world, no tribe, and the world cares about any of the problems besides Bitcoiners. They saw it firsthand. hundred percent. Yeah. Exploring the relationship between Bitcoin and food is very interesting. Yeah. And I remember because like we were saying, you know, the whole thing with the meat mafia got started because we were living in Texas together after we did this Iron Man. Yeah. And Harry, I remember Harry, when Harry sold all of his shit coins and he was just owning Bitcoin. And I was like, what the fuck is this guy doing? <laughs> only, owning, only owning Bitcoin. He's out of his mind just to go all in on something. Sure. Because at the time I wasn't, I don't think I owned Bitcoin at all. Sure. And I just viewed it as like a financial asset or a stock. Sure. Um, and so Harry was like, trust me. He like, he didn't try and push it. He was like, I'm just going to give you a couple podcasts to listen to. That's it. And then a copy of the Bitcoin standard and was like, just go in with an open mind and let me know what you think afterwards. Right. And so then that's when I started to learn a lot about these concepts that you're talking about. And then really everything changed for me when we started the show and started writing on Twitter because I'd owned some Bitcoin, but there I there was still a lot for me to learn. There still is, but back then I really didn't know anything in January. Yeah. And I remember saying to myself, I'm like, it's so interesting how our most loyal followers from the start are Bitcoiners. Mm-hmm. Why is that? So yeah. for me, it's I'm almost reverse where a lot of people find Bitcoin and then they go down the nutrition rabbit hole and they dive into carnivory and regenerative agriculture and, you know, buying direct from a local farmer. Yeah. Well, for me, I was like the nutrition angle was kind of what led me into the Bitcoin space. Interesting. And then I just started realizing, I was like, I just think it's interesting how a lot of these maximalists, I just really respect the way that they approach their lives. Like they're an incredibly optimistic group of people. Yep. They're purists. I also love the fact that they're using this, they view this digital currency as a vehicle to actually improve the world. Yeah. Um, and I just didn't, I think most people just don't understand that vision. And I didn't, I just was viewing it as a stock, like a lot of other people sure. were. And it was like, once that switch was made, um, you know, I think it just changed my entire perception of the world and money and how we live our lives. And there's, you know, there's no going back once you have that, yeah. that awakening or that realization or whatever you want to call it. The orange pill, well, yeah, all yeah. those analogies. Yeah. yeah. I think it's like that low time preference. And I think, you know, any sound money with sound food. Right. Like these things that like, you know, you talked about like the energy being stored in the food earlier. Like that's proof of work. That's how it is in Bitcoin. Nothing should be achieved easily. That cow that needs to be grazed. That's not easy. That shit is extremely difficult and takes a lot of time. That block that's being mined takes. I mean, I don't even know the computational power that it takes. We got a block clock right here. But like that, everybody just thinks that like this is just Harry Potter. Well, not everybody, but like the outsiders or the normies think this is just easy. We can replicate this. The amount of energy, and Dojiji talks about this a lot, the amount of energy that is behind every single block that's mine cannot be faked. It's honest. Mm. It's truth. It wouldn't happen without it. And as you guys know, the farmer can't walk up to you and give you a fake cap. Yeah. Like, he can't just be like, hey, man, like mm. I got this one last week. You can eat it right now. That just doesn't happen. And if it does, it's probably a charlatan and it's probably robbing you. So I think what, you know, I, I'm, I'm also fascinated by that back and forth that you just laid out there where like Bitcoiners... Sovereign people mm-hmm. is what I like to say. Always find their way to the hardest money, to the hardest food, to the hardest uh, virtues, right? Like there's always like this, like 
chase and this like freedom movement to get to being completely sovereign. Yes. Um, and yeah, people come in from anywhere. Some people do find it as a stock, um, but eventually you just start figuring out that that's a whole charade and you shouldn't see it as a stock. And then when you start learning about supply cap and um, safety, and shout out to safety, and, uh, I think that Bitcoin standard and letting people know that since seashells and diamonds and everything, people have always chased the hardest form of money. And then you get the rules of 21 million supply cap enforced by the network. Then it's like, this is the hardest thing that ever exists. Um, and then you just go down and down. But the TLDR, what I'm trying to say is sovereign people will always find a way to do it the right way. hundred yeah. percent. Instead of the shitty way. The hardest yeah. thing to ever exist. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah. It's, it, and that's hard to explain to somebody coming in. <laughs> so I don't yeah. blame you for like hearing Harry and being like, what the fuck is this guy yeah. talking about? Like, cause it, it's, it's a lot, but now it's like, um, at least for me, it's like um, when it comes to like problem solving and what Bitcoin can do, give me more, right? Like, totally. let, let, let's keep pushing. Let's keep going. Let's tell these stories. And I'm going to get into podcasting here. Uh, but I also think that, you know, sound information, mm. uh, which is another piece of that whole soundness where you get your information from, um, to quote Slim on this market access, where you get your market access to your information, it's extremely important. And the only medium and Bitcoiners do this very well. Hopefully I'm doing this with this show. You guys are doing it with y'all show is, is we went to a medium where we can say what we want to say and it still hasn't been infiltrated by fiat. Yes. Like, I mean, there's fiat podcasts, don't get me wrong, but those are the ones you find on Spotify and you pay $14.99 for, right? But now you can get and listen to the Talking to Bits RSS feed or the Meat Mafia RSS mm -hmm. feed and it's like, oh, they're not charging me a damn thing. They just want to give me this sound information for absolutely free because of their life experiences. Yes. And I think that's another thing that Bitcoiners harp on is, you know, sound information, whether it's writing, you know, you got to go to platforms like Substack that don't limit your, your thoughts. And then you got to do it in podcasting, which doesn't limit your thoughts or your expression. Um, I'm trying to get to podcasting. How has that played a pivotal role for you guys? And, you know, how important is it for you guys moving forward to focus on podcasting as a medium of mm -hmm. sharing information? Oh, it's huge. I it's mean, we, we were literally talking about this yesterday. So, I mean, Brett just got down here. Uh, welcome to Texas, Brett. Congrats, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. So I finally welcome somebody. I know, right? Yeah, <laughs> welcome. Yeah, you and I moved down, what, the same time this this time last year? Uh, no, I was actually just a few months ago, July. Oh, no way. Yeah, okay, yeah, 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 right, yeah. Cool. But still, first time I can welcome somebody. <laughs> Thank so you. welcome. I'm glad to be number one, yeah. But, you know, that invited a lot of conversations around like, okay, like, what are we going to do these next few weeks? How are we going to yep. make the most of them? And we keep coming back to this idea of like, what, like, what's the stack of like most important things that we're working on right now? And like the kind of the foundation of it is the podcast because uh, I think for a lot of reasons, but mainly we're, we're trying to reach audiences that we don't even know exist and have conversations with people who have messages that are worth sharing with sure. everyone. Mm -hmm. And yeah. the, the amount of people that we've come into contact with just through the podcast, like literally blows our mind. Yeah. Um, and, and we just see it as this tool that's like foundational to you know, as soon as you record a podcast, we were having this conversation. As soon as you have a recorded podcast, like that's your asset forever. Mm -hmm. And if it's yes. with amazing people who have great information to share with the world, like that, that's something that you, you can then just distribute on all these different platforms. Like the, the concept of getting deeper and deeper into the podcast for us is just, you know, there's a million different ways, but like, I think the education aspect of what we're doing is so core to everything. Yeah. Uh, and, and the podcast is the, the best platform for us to do that. hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And we love long form writing and that's always going to be core to what we do, whether it's sure. threads, Substack, like you were saying, et cetera. But 
for us, it's about, you know, we want to have the biggest impact in nutrition and we genuinely want to fix the food system. And for a lot of people, like if you're talking to a friend or a family member that maybe has never heard of the animal-based diet or thinks saturated fat is bad for you, it's really tough to like send them a book or like an essay or something and get them to to try and read that. Where it's like, hey, look, just listen to this like 25 minute episode that we recorded with this expert like yeah. or or send them a great documentary or something like that it's just a different medium to try and get that information out there yeah and also for us we're, we're coming at it from the perspective of like we're not mds we're not nutritionists we're just people that have logged the ten thousand hours in terms of understanding what are the right foods that we should be eating and we've had some of our own adverse health experiences and we want to ask the questions that we wish we knew the answer to, or still want to know the answer to, yeah. and kind of put on the shoes of the, you know, the inform the consumer that doesn't really know how to take that next step in their yeah. health. Um, yeah. Else, yeah, and it's I love that point. point. Like, yeah. It's like, There's, what do we? What information did we need three years ago, five years ago, yeah. to start really changing things? Yeah, because um, it is like, it's not. It's like, what should you eat? How can you start actually thinking? differently around your health and start to enact habit change. Like it's not yeah. just like, I think that's where we, we we're like, we're creating this identity with our show, but it needs to be like us. And our whole thing is like, it's not just the food. Like it is you, like you need to change. You need to mm. change your relationship with the food. Love that. And so we try, yeah, I think when we think about these things, like, you know, it'll always be kind of like a, our voice, which is, I think, genuinely like we we think the information around food is like totally warped, but then also like, hey, you need to be a wi- willing and able to like change yourself and start thinking differently. So yeah, um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot to it, but yeah, the yeah. yeah. catapult effect I call it too. Like you guys said that you log ten thousand hours. I don't have the time to log ten thousand in that specific arena. But if I could listen to y'all on a, on a cadence during my workout during whatever, y'all could catapult me over ten thousand hours and give me the information that you've absorbed in an easier, compact fashion. And in a value for value world, I can possibly do the same exact thing to either you guys or somebody else. And I think that's where it's extremely valuable. It's, it's yeah, you taking up your time, crunching it all up and then giving it to the consumers for free, really, if you think about it. Yeah. And uh, um, being able to catapult, I think is important. That's why I think books are important. Same thing. It's like, if I could get a, you know, a professional or an MD, an MD, just a random example, but somebody who has put in their work and their time to understand something, safety, good example, right? And he can, in one book that this big, give me everything I need to know about mm. finances, like that's magic. Yeah. It's, it's a time traveling device oh in your hand, right? Yes, legit. So a podcast is literally that. Like you can sit here, you guys are schooling me on stuff that you guys have put 10,000 hours in mm-hmm. that I've barely scratched the surface on. Like I just started eating an animal-based diet, maybe say six months ago. Yes. Right. So like that's impressive. And then on the format standard, I do video. This is great video. 4k video looks fantastic, but video files are extremely difficult to transport. Mm -hmm. I mean, like they, you got to have a computer that could play high def. You got to have an internet connection that can run it. Um, I've shared files with y'all before. Like these, these files are massive, right? But an audio file, an audio file continues to be 64 megabytes. I could load this bitch into a thumb drive. I could shoot it to the other side of the world instantly mm-hmm. and distribute it and it could never be stopped. And, you know, I'm an audio guy before I'm a video guy and it's for that purpose. It's just, it can't be stopped. I mean, even in a, hopefully not, but like in a nuclear world, you will be able to share audio files easily. Like broadcast them however mm-hmm. you want. Mm-hmm. Video, on the other hand, cameras get bigger, lenses get bigger, 8K, 12K, yeah. right? And it's like, 
well, who the fuck is going to be able to run that? Yes. I mean, you know, walk yeah. around with that. So podcasting, I think just, it will always thrive. Now with Value for Value, it's even thriving more into this medium that the powers that be will never be able to taper off. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's a tool that we can use and yeah. we are using it. So, Which is an incredibly important thing for the three of us sitting down for this conversation and probably for your listener that's listening, because if you're listening to the show, you're pursuing these alternative measures to optimize your life, whether that's the currency that you own, the food that you're eating, the nutritional strategy that you have, that's contrary to this narrative that's being taught and pushed. And if you're yeah. going against that narrative, you know, unfortunately, a lot of people are getting censored and they're not able to push out these alternative measures to how you should be able to approach your life, which we, which obviously the three of us think is so important. So, yeah. you know, just kind of like echoing what you're saying, it's just, uh, you know, really fortunate that it exists and just, we want to just keep putting out as much amazing information as possible. Um, and we just, we take this stuff so seriously because both of us have seen the unbelievable benefits of just taking control of the food yeah. and what that can do. Right. Yeah. It's like now it's like we're, we're working together. We're, we're building out something in our exact vision that never would have happened four or five years ago. I wouldn't have the confidence to even do this. Sure. And it all, it all stemmed from putting real food into my body. Yep. And for so many other people, it could be the same thing. It's like with you as a dad, you continue to get in better shape. Yep. You know, you're a better father to your kids. You have more energy to maybe pick up a couple side hustles and help out a couple other extra podcasts and they pay you an equity and like, who knows what that could all turn into, but it's, yeah. but it starts with you taking control of the food you're putting into your system. So it's like, I think about that a lot. If I ever want to like cheat or eat something that's maybe not the best. And it's like, of course it's important to enjoy it. And it's not going to kill you if you go off your diet every once in a while. But like when you're in the the core of what you're doing, like just keep thinking about what the bigger purpose is and think about how much that food can really fuel that, that those chapters of your life. Cause it's incredible what it can do. Yeah. And give you that extra push that you may need. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Cause a lot of people are just walking around zombies and they don't realize it. It's that they're just tapped out. They, Absolutely. Their body is tapped out. Their mind is tapped out and then they can't give contribute the best. Um, also on the note of giving you your very best, I think, you know, especially you guys and a few others that are in the space, podcasting is difficult. Like, this isn't in like a mm -hmm. thing where you just walk around and you just basically say, well, I, like, I'm going to vlog and I'm going to walk around. Like, this takes a lot of uh, planning, takes a lot of effort to get it done. It takes a lot of time to get mm -hmm. it done. And then you have to, like, you know, go get guests and you got to do this stuff. So what I like to tell a lot of podcasters, especially in the Valley for Valley world, is don't take that for granted. Right. Like, there is these podcasts that are able to pull it off by basically just, like, doing phone recordings on their phone. But that's very rare. And they are lucky, in my opinion. Like podcasting has gotten so saturated now that the ones that are really getting to the level that you guys are getting and that we're getting here and talking a bit are really trying their asses off. They're really putting their mm -hmm. effort in and they're really trying. And now you don't necessarily have to pay for that Spotify membership, that 15 bucks or whatever, uh, to basically pay Joe Rogan's contract. I love Joe Rogan, but let's oh, yeah. be honest here. That yes. money's going directly to Joe Rogan. Yes. There's nothing else on Spotify worth going for. Right. Um, but, you know, if he would take the value for value and like us, it's like, well, you don't have to pay talking in bids 15 bucks a month. You could just send a dollar and right. that's a voting system. You yes. can spread that $15 and give the meat mafia five, right? Give the whatever it may be. And I think people should be more and more aware of that system existing because mm. you from the food you eat to what your output is and to the performance that you guys are putting together, that shit is not easy. It takes a lot. No. And the listeners should not take that for granted and they should support their favorite podcast uh, and, and, and learn to support their favorite mm -hmm. podcast without the apples of the world and all that stuff. But right. it's a selfless act too. 
Yeah. Because you don't need to get paid. And honestly, as a as a podcast producer, it's it's even one like it's a hard one to like kind of wrap your head around and like yeah. like conceptualize, right? Because it's just such a different model. But I think yeah. like coming from the space that we're coming from, like familiar like the f- familiar with the ethos of Bitcoin and like this idea of value for value, it, it does make sense. But for a lot of people, it's like, oh, just don't, why would I donate to this show? Yeah. I pay, I pay institution X and then they give me access to everything. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, it's a weird model different. upside down. I think Harry says it all the time where it's like our brains are not even programmed to think this way. No, right? no, they're not. But, they're not. but at the same time, like I stream to my favorite shows, people stream to me and it's, it's a, it's a legit, like it's, um, I don't know if, being a philanthropist is that feeling, but it feels good to support things you really, really like. Right. Yes. Same thing as like paying your, you know, shaking a rancher's hand and paying them in Bitcoin and, and like supporting them. It feels good to be able to understand that you're not giving them shitty dollars. You're giving them gold in the sense, yeah. if you want to use that analogy. Um, and I, I think as a listener, cause I'm a podcast connoisseur myself. Like that's the thing. It's not, I don't just listen. I don't just do a podcast. I listen to them. It's like, you know, forget Apple, <laughs> forget Spotify, forget all these other models. Uh, let's just put the information out there because their GG says this a lot. If it's if it sits behind a paywall, it may not be worth it. It's not worth it. Mm-hmm. There's there's an argument to be made that that's false. But I, I I get his point, which is if it's good enough, the people will come, and if it's good enough, the people will support. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, I resonate with that. I like oh, yeah. that. You know. Yeah, yeah, like, no, because a lot of things are stuck behind the old model, the old marketing yeah. model. Put it behind a paywall. Pay yeah. ten bucks to get in. All this, and then you get there, and they're like, "Shit!" Like th- this was actually pretty terrible, is what it was. Yeah. yeah. And then it takes away, you know, you guys may may experience this and may not. The fact that you have to focus so much, in in the fiat tradition, like when I first started, not this podcast, I had like the Jose Burgos podcast. And that's when I was like, well, how do I get money out of this, right? Like, that's when I was very fiat-minded. And I was like, well, I'm putting a lot of time in and I'm doing this and this and that. Mm-hmm. What I started to figure out is that, that I spent so much damn time trying to figure out a plan to get $5 or to get $10 that the creativity was completely sucked out of the show. 100%. Mm-hmm. I had no time to focus on guests or questions or anything. I was just like, how can I pull the next stunt is what I call it in retrospect. Because yeah. at the time, I thought I was being a businessman. <laughs> now it's just a stunt, right? Like, I was just trying to get people behind a paywall. And then as I go into this value for value world, it's like, you know what, man? I just got to trust that my stuff is good. Totally. Right? And then that's what, I, that's what I've done. And I've been doing it for about a few years now. The listeners, they know I love them. They just come. They show up. I had somebody tell me the other day, hey, man, stop swearing. Like, it's just straight up honest. They're both, hey, I'm going to give you like a thousand sats or whatever it is. But I want you to know, you say fuck too much. And I don't really yeah. like that. And I was just like, respect. Like, thank you so much. Like, <laughs> You voted. This wasn't like a, a, a like a troll. You actually put up a little bit of your money, fraction of a penny, if you call it that. But you actually put up a little bit of your money to say, hey, I like you, but I don't like this about your show. Yes. Yeah. And I don't think I would have got that if I was telling people pay five bucks. 100%. I think that person would have just never listened to me. They would have yeah. been like, ah, fuck you. And they would have kept going, sorry, I'm saying fuck again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you just absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I told that, that person, and he knows who I am. I, I actually did a solo rip earlier and I, you know, I gave him a shout out. But like another thing about this podcasting thing that I hope my listeners respect is you'll get good Jose, you'll get bad Jose, but you're always going to get transparent Jose. hundred percent. Right? Like, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say that. I'm here to please everybody. A lot of the stuff that's going on in the world, especially with food, especially with really pisses me the fuck off. Yeah. Right. So like some people are good at being pissed off, but being eloquent. Yes. I'm good at being pissed off and showing it like I'm fucking mad. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So like 
Some people say I'm out of bounds. Some people say I'm just right. Some people say I'm passionate. I've heard it in many different ways. But the TLDR that I'm getting to here is, is that now they can vote and they can cast their their opinion. Absolutely. And they don't have to troll. Like yeah. it's, a, it's a very pure thing. And people, 100%. and people are seeing the real version of Jose, which is why they were tuning into your podcast. They want to hear the long form rips and hear yep. the days that are really good and also probably hear the days that are shitty. And that's been the amazing thing about podcasting. It's like, you see some of these huge A-list guests, we take it back to Rogan, that he gets on the show. Yep. Contrast that to like an ABC or CNN interview where it's like this perfect cherry-picked clip that's eight minutes and you yep. don't know who the hell they are. And then they went on Rogan's show and they're like, oh my God, you're like, I actually understand how this person thinks. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. Like that's a good example of that is Lance Armstrong. Yep. How he got crucified because he tried to go for this like perfect response when he went on Oprah's show, national television. And then he goes on Rogan's show a couple of years later. They have this great three-hour rip. He's down to earth. He's honest. Yeah. That's like the the nature of formatting of how, what podcast allows for. And people were like, dude, if you just did that from the start, the blowback to the steroids <laughs> accusation would have been way better than what it was. Yeah. Um, but he just got like caught up in like defending himself. And yeah. even, like no one even really knew like uh, the, who he yeah. was, what the backstory was. Oh, 100%. Yeah. It, Everyone was doing yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. It would be, I'd be curious to get, Curry's perspective on this too, because, oh, yeah. you know, I grew up listening to Howard Stern with my yeah. dad and all these people, like you, you talk to people that like, that grew up with Stern and they're talking about like the crazy stuff that he would do in the eighties and the nineties. And he also just had this like amazing, uh, style of interviewing and it was just off the record and it was unfiltered. And he was like the first person that ever did that. hundred percent. Um, that's a great, I, great yeah. Example. And, it, and it kind of seems like that's what, what podcasting is. It's, it's like this unfiltered, uncensored just genuine, authentic uh, expression, which is just, it's amazing. Yeah, it should absolutely be. And it shouldn't be slowed down in any way. I mean, you, you could always just not listen. Like that's the 100%. beautiful part about it. You don't want to listen to it. That's fine. But um, I, you know, I, I give this example a lot, but like when it comes to motivation for me, when it comes to like getting me into the fight, when it comes to whatever it is, like there's people that love the Tony Robbins way of motivation. Mm. You're great. I love you. Come give me a hug. <laughs> Then there's the David Goggins motivation. Oh, yeah. yeah. Listen, little bitch, get the fuck up. Let's go. I like that. That, yes. that gets me to be fired up and say, I am being a little bitch. I need to step up right now. And I need to. So like, I, I use that same example. Some people may be able to express my message the same way and say, I love y'all. We're going to win together. Let's hug each other. <laughs> and I'm just like, look, they fucked us. They fucked our parents. They continue to fuck us. And I'm fed up. Yes. Right? Like, let's go put the boots on. Let's go fight because... A lot of, and I talk about this a lot. A lot of people think in Bitcoin, stack sats and sit back and we'll watch the world get fixed. That's not true. There's a lot of developers sitting that sit out there. There's a lot of people like us that go in day in and day out and give real information. You need to put on the boots and fight if we're going to be able to beat big food, be able to beat, you know, the monetary system, be able to beat. And I'm sick and tired of the Bitcoiners that sit around and say, all I have to do is stack sats and hodl. That's nonsense. And if I have to tell you, you're being a little bitch then I'm going to tell you that because we all have a, a role in this fight. 100%. If we're going to win for our kids, if we're going to win for whatever comes after us. And I'm sure you guys are not sitting around saying, hey, it's all good. You could stuff your face with crap and then eventually I'll come and hug you and you'll feel better. No, you're telling people, look, the food is fucked. Yeah. Like, you know, maybe not with the, with the, <laughs> we're saying fuck, but you guys get my gist. Yeah. It's yeah. like, so however you want to be motivated, go listen to that podcast. It may not be how I motivate you. I may be out of bounds. But I know I strike, you know, the David Goggins, Goggins approach is a very fascinating one. 
Because he's not telling you shit about shit besides that you're being a little bitch. 100%. Yeah. You guys listen to Goggins. It's yes, like, absolutely. He has some messaging in there. But for the most part, he understands that we're our biggest weakness. We yes. get in our own way. And he, he running in that video always, you being a bitch, stand yeah. up. And it's like, that makes me want to go run. 100%. Yeah. And like ideological warfare is like basically what we're going through, right? And yeah. it's and it's not a passive like uh, defense. Like you, if, if you're gonna defend an idea, you need to be willing to manifest, like actually be that idea. Yeah. Um, you know, if every Bitcoiner just sat around being quiet and didn't talk about Bitcoin, didn't didn't share, you know, uh, the different things that are being developed on Bitcoin, or didn't sure. th- didn't start conceptualizing what could be built on Bitcoin putting Bitcoin in farmers' hands so that they can protect themselves against regulatory capture. Yeah. Uh, then, then like Bitcoin doesn't reach its full capacity and like what it, what it really should be. And yeah, so like, you true. know, Bitcoin's yeah. an idea. You got to defend that idea. Yeah. Oh yeah. To the die on the hill, as they like to say, or whatever. Like that's a, a lot of things people are not like, ah, <laughs> I get triggered when I think about this, the, the stack and we're going to win. And then, that shit doesn't play yeah. like that. You're right. The idea dies right there. Like yeah. this whole thing is worthless, and they got you. Like if you if you, if you don't think about those groundbreaking ideas of getting of getting you know sound food and getting Bitcoin in the farmer's hand and all these things, Slim will be the first one to say it. Like a lot of people are just behaving like lost, like zombies. He may not use the term bitch, but what I get from that is that is like you know cowboy up or whatever it is. He's literally fighting the fight against the people that are just suckered, the people that are just zombied, and they don't understand what's going mm-hmm. on. So am I. Yes. You know what I'm saying? And, yes. and we just say it differently, but so am I. And that's just the way things are. But Well, there's an intensity to what you do and in your voice because this shit is so fucking important. It's like, right. in a lot of ways, we're battling for the soul of this country and what is going on right now. Well said. I, I, think, I think probably all three of us being Northeast guys, I remember I almost went through like a grieving process, like in the beginning of COVID, because I realized that like the the New York that I was living in and the nine to five sales job that I had, I was like, I I knew that that was gone, but I was hoping that I could still go back to that. Yeah. And then you go through this acceptance period of like, the world is never going to be the same. And you start to, a lot of people got insight into what the hell is going on. Yeah. So like the stuff that we're talking about, very serious issues, like seven out of 10 people are dying from chronic disease because of diet and lifestyle. And it, that didn't exist a hundred years ago. Right. It's like, you're talking about your dad, you know, being crippled, thinking he's doing the right thing, throwing his money into his 401k, literally theft. And his money is basically being stolen by all these hidden fees and like things that we've just normalized. It's like, how does that not fire you up when you exactly. realize that, you know, we've basically had the wool pulled over our eyes for the last 50 plus years. So there has to be this intensity and there has to be this push to it. Um, you know, otherwise this, the narrative that we're talking about, we're just going to continue to get suppressed. So yeah, I need um, you to write my scripts. Cause that was, <laughs> no, it, it, feel, it almost feels like, and Slim said this and Harry and I talked about this. I think one of the things he, he said it at both initiatives is like, it's a fucking genocide, which yeah. sounds crazy. Yeah. But then you actually look at the situation that we're in and you're like, it's not the worst term to describe what the hell's happening right now. Pretty damn realistic, if um, you ask me. That's yeah. And I think the three of us are really hopeful people. Yeah. And I think a lot of the Bitcoin community is. Yeah. But to your point, it's like, we're going to have to fucking fight to get there. 100%. We're going to have to fight. Yeah. So. And if we didn't, well, it, it, go ahead. It's a peaceful protest too. Like, yeah. it doesn't mean like fight in the physical <laughs> sense, but it's yeah. like, it's like, yo, this is property you can't take from me. Good luck. Like, yep. yeah. As long as I'm willing to hold on and, and stick it out, like, yeah. that, that's our fight. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. just understanding the genocide is right in front of us. And don't be in denial of it. If you don't like my taste of it, that's fine. But if you're telling me that what I'm saying is nonsense, 
you're completely wrong. Like you just have not seen the wool is still over your eyes. 100%. You have not figured out. If you're not figured out that most kids, 40% of the kids are diabetic. 40%. If you're not understanding that, you are slipping. You're, yes. There's something wrong with you, not wrong with me saying fuck. You're just <laughs> zoning in on me saying fuck instead of zoning in on me saying your life is a shambles and I may, you guys may, somebody may have the little bit of tip you need to start pulling it away from the debris and start to rebuild it and you're just focused on me saying fuck, which is very weird, but yes, it, it is <laughs> It is what it is. Hey, he's still sending you a thousand stats. <laughs> yeah. That's what I mean. That's why I honor that because it's like, he didn't troll me, right? Like on YouTube, you get like those bots first and foremost, but then you get like the trolls that are just like, all right, don't waste my time, right? Yeah. yeah. But this person was like, look, I respect you so damn much that I'm willing to put a little bit of money up to give you some feedback. Yes. And I think that's where that paradigm shifts, where it's like me as a creator now pays attention. Because I'm like, oh, you're just not a troll. You're a listener yeah. that just maybe wants me to tone it down a bit. Yeah. And yes. I respect that. So like yeah, I told awesome. this person, Gene Everett, I'll say it again. That's his handle on Fountain. Shout out to Gene Everett. I think he said he works close to, uh, to No Agenda. I wonder what you do for No Agenda. But either way, you took your time. You listened to my episode. Time is valuable. You didn't have to listen to it. And you took a little bit of extra time to say, you know what, man? Here, I think it was like five bucks total. Uh, but here's a few boosts, uh, whatever, to let you know that I love the show. Mm. I just was distracted by you saying fuck every other word, which I don't do. And yeah. it actually, it sounds like I do now. But yes, <laughs> like I told them, I, I blacked out on that episode. I was talking about some monetary nonsense uh, and I was like, I blacked out. But that's OK. You're going to get some of that. You're going to get some good conversations. You're going to get a lot of different flavors. But if you expect me to show up and um, Mr. Rogers Neighborhood, yes, right? And just put the same turtleneck on every time and put the shoes yeah. on. You're probably listening to the wrong show. Wrong fucking thing. Like, I, yes. I'm, I'm trying to get, I'm trying to excel here, trying to get good at conversation. But I also want to make, put a little bit of a fire on the people's ass and understand that this world is collapsing around us. And you may think it's not because you're listening to the CNNs of the world. But if you just lift the eyelid just a little bit, whether it's in food, your diet, the way you feel, your confidence, um, your job, your 401k, your bank account, whatever it is, if you just pay a, just a little bit of attention to something, you're going to figure out that they're fucking you yes. slowly but surely. And genocide is a nice word. Well, it's not a nice word, but it's an accurate word. Mm -hmm. Don't be a fool. Go listen to the other podcasts. But if they're not telling you that there's a genocide going on out here, then they're probably playing themselves and they may want your money. That's another thing about it too. But long winded either way, guys, I got to talk to you guys forever about this stuff. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I'm sure we're going to have a bunch of conversations off the camera anyways. Uh, but I want to appreciate you guys uh, for coming by, giving me your time. And uh, please let the listeners know just where they can follow you, where they can subscribe, where, whatever call to action you guys want to give them. 100%. And I think for us, too, this this episode with the three of us, and it's for us, it, it feels like a celebration kind of just because now we're going to officially be working together and you're helping us take our podcast to the next level. Yeah. And we're just so excited to be able to partner with someone like you that shares a similar vision and actually believes in us too. And we had that amazing connection out at the beef initiative and we're like, number one, just so excited about that. And, and thank you for everything that you do. Um, but for us, really simple, a few different platforms. Uh, Beat Mafia podcast is the name of the podcast. It's on every major platform. Um, we host a lot of our long form blogs and shorter articles on our Substack, And then we also post a bunch of our podcasts there too. So check out the Substack. Pretty much all the information we give out on Substack is for free. We do have a premium version, which has like those souped up articles as well, which are great. But yeah. the free version gives out a lot of great content as well. And then uh, Twitter is funny because we're the Meat Mafia, but we have separate Twitter handles. So I'm at Mr. Salazzo and then Harry is uh, at Carney Clemenza. 
And then our Instagram is just the Meat Mafia podcast. So Twitter, Instagram, Substack is a good place to start. We're on all the fiat platforms. All the fiat platforms. So, for now. We, yeah, yeah, for yeah, now. We gotta, yeah. <laughs> we're going to shift that a little bit. Yeah. But uh, thanks for the shout out. I appreciate it. Very excited to work with y'all as well. I didn't know if you guys wanted to announce that, but very oh, excited yeah. about that for sure. What's the uh, the Godfather uh, analogies? Is it just Italian background or how did that work out? Uh, you, here, it, there wasn't a lot of thought put into it, right? Uh, yeah, I really, <laughs> I, love it, by the way. I really wish there was like a great story, like a ton of thought went into the whole branding and idea, but yeah, it's yeah. just not the case. Like we were yeah. literally just shooting the shit. I was writing for, <laughs> I was writing for Slim, and he's like, "You need an anonymous name," and I was like, "I like Godfather shit. Like I'm so gonna be right. talking about edgy stuff around the food system. Like, all right, here we go. Like, let's just come up with a Godfather name." Yeah, and I was, yeah, yeah. Uh, Clemenza character was a Godfather character. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then I was like, shit, he's got a Godfather character. I want a Godfather character. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I was and I, I was a huge Godfather fan growing up. And I was like, Salazzo's kind of an it's got an interesting ring to it. Yeah. And then we said, Well shit, why don't we we could like play off of each other on Twitter and call ourselves the Food Mafia? That was the initial name that we picked. Okay. And we just started tweeting and we literally just started writing about things that we were passionate about, how we, you know, healed ulcerative colitis, why you should be eating organ meats, why you should eat more red meat. And people just really started responding to it. And we said, shit, I think that there's seriously something here. Nice. Um, and we've just taken and run with it. And it's, you know, it's special for us because in January, it's like I was literally sleeping on Harry's floor. We had 20 followers and you know, now we're getting DMs from people that are saying that they're changing their lives following the advice that we're putting out. So yeah. it's, you know, it's just a special thing and we're just more motivated than ever to partner with people like you and just take this thing to the next level. So oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah the brain, the branding stuff is funny too, because like, I, I genuinely feel like a lot of people really like you should spend time thinking about a lot, a lot of this stuff and like be calculated, but you also should experiment and, and test the market a little bit yeah. around like what to do. Cause we were, we were like, we were trying to figure out exactly what our identity, the whole thing was going to be. Yeah. And we were, you know, through meat mafia out there and like, yeah, people are, were like, oh, started seeing hashtag meat mafia. I'm like, okay, this is works. So, <laughs> yeah, right, it works. Yeah. We got something. It is catchy here. shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, Love it. But yeah. appreciate you guys. Listeners, you guys know where to find this. Fountain app and Breeze app are the easiest way to get onboarded. If you haven't tried the Bitcoin standard of technology or the Bitcoin standard of consumption, as I like to call it, check out Fountain app. You can get set up in about five minutes or so. Check out Breeze if you already have a Breeze wallet. That's the easiest way, but we want to keep this decentralized, right? So if you check out Podcast Index backslash apps, uh, Korean David Jones, I've literally have a master list of all the podcasts and 2.0 apps you can try. There's a lot of desktop apps. There's a lot of phone apps, whatever floats your boat. However you consume this information, we appreciate the value. Let us know how much value you're actually receiving and talking in bits. That's very important. If you're receiving no value, that's good to know. And if you're receiving a ton of value, that's also fantastic to know. So check us out on that. Bitcoin TV is where you can catch this 4K content. Super important to us to be able to promote the Bitcoin standard of media. So go check us out on Bitcoin TV. And if you haven't moved over to the leg uh, from the legacy outlets to the Bitcoin standard of things, that's okay as well. Do those things that flirt with the algorithm. Rate, share, subscribe. That stuff helps us get to the top and we can get this signal moving. I appreciate y'all as always. And I'll catch y'all next week. Later. <laughs>